taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Won't you bow with me in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you. We do adore you. We come this morning to just demonstrate some gratefulness. Lord, you've been good to us. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for deciding to call us, to call us your own. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will preach through me to these your people in a way that is palatable, in a way that is real, in a way that is authentic and relevant. Help us to see you through your word. Help us to reconnect. Help us today to get regrounded. Uh, the world can move us in all kinds of directions. Somebody has suggested that life is filled with swift transitions. None on earth unmoved can stand. But this morning we come to build our hopes on things eternal holding to your unchanging hand. Thank you today. I pray, God, that you will use me in your service. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 It's good to see y'all. Amen. Amen. Um, we are in a series of preaching um, entitled Be Grateful, and the purpose of this series is to, to help us settle ourselves down, pause ourselves, and to return to a posture of gratefulness. Um, as I said on last week, I definitely am guilty of in moving through uh, the pandemic in the last few years, uh, oftentimes reflecting on just the challenges of living day-to-day -day life. And while I think we, do, we did and still do have much to be anguished about, we absolutely have a whole lot to be thankful for. And so given that we are in the Thanksgiving season, I thought it totally made sense for us to spend some time grounding ourselves in this principle of gratefulness. Be grateful. And so in my own just meditation time, I have been getting my Walter Hawkins on with just old school gospel music. How many of y'all know that song, Be Grateful? Um, I've been playing that on YouTube and Spotify and it's been blessing me. And so out of that cup of gratefulness, I want to lead us there as a congregation. And so today, I want to look at Psalm 118, and the title of this sermon is very simple. It is simply, Oh, Give Thanks. Um, in the middle of the week, as I was um, getting going in my sermon or in the middle of sermon preparation, um, I started to text Corey and say, hey, y'all should sing Oh, Give Thanks. But I figured, nah, he's already got his music lined up for Sunday. But I'm like, it would be perfect if he sang Oh, Give Thanks because that's what I'm going to talk about today is Psalm 118, which says, oh, give thanks. Um, but the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. And so he was absolutely tapped in in the same way I was tapped in. And so they kicked off service today singing, oh, give thanks. And that's all I want to talk about today. Psalm 118, we'll read uh, beginning at verse 1. 
It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate on me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. One, it's all good. They ain't seen each other in a month of Sundays, so to have that. We've been having a good time, and they've barely been able to hear themselves all good. I have friends who pastor churches, and the median age is 72, and they wish there was a sound of little kids having a good time in church. Amen? Amen. So we're going to thank God for it. Okay. It's a basic thing that my parents taught me that Carla and I have taken pains to teach our daughter, Layla. It is that when somebody gives you something or does something for you, always say thank you. As an adult, I still practice this. Uh, the waitstaff at restaurants, the cashier in the store, the associate helping me in the department store, the customer service rep on the phone, I take the time to stop and tell them thank you. It, it is a part of our social graces a part of our culture of civility that we pause to show appreciation to one another by uttering those two simple words, thank you. But more than our fellow human beings deserve to be shown gratitude for the things that they do, may I suggest to you this morning that God deserves to be told, thank you. God deserves to be told that for what God has done. Uh, may I confess to you that I am a far better at regularly ensuring that I say thank you to the cashier at Walmart than I am at ensuring I pause to say thank you to God throughout my day. The cashier at Walmart, you see, they greeted me with a smile and bagged my groceries for me. And to that person, I said thank you. But that morning, God greeted me with the sustained breath of life. God greeted me with a functioning and healthy body, a sound mind, and a roof over my head. And I might have forgotten to say thank you. The customer service representative on the phone, she did help me resolve an issue, and I said thank you. But the truth of the matter is, all day long, God had been solving problems for me, and I might have forgotten to tell God, thank you. That that person walking into the building ahead of me held the door for me, and rightfully so, I told that person, thank you. But when I think about it, one of the chief things that God has done in my life is open doors for me that would otherwise be closed. Did I tell God, thank you? You said thank you to the person helping you in the drive-thru, but have you told God thank you for the car that you were able to drive through that drive-thru? 
I just have a simple question this morning. Are we pausing to take the time to show God some gratitude and say thank you? But that is effectively what the psalmist is pushing the reader and hearer of this psalm to do. It is to reflect on the goodness of God and show some gratitude by saying thank you. This psalm that we are reading, this 118th psalm, is a part of what is called processional psalms. These are essentially hymns or songs that would have been sung during a festival season. I think one of the best ways to think about the psalms is to think of them like civil rights freedom songs. Ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. Songs that would have been sang on marches with the purpose to give people energy and to fuel them and to push them and to cause them to reflect on the God that was by their side. This is Israel's journey and likewise they have freedom songs or psalms or hymns that help them reflect on God as well as reflect on their plight and their journey. It is within it, it has within it this particular psalm call and response element that is repetitious. It's typical of the Jewish Psalms. We don't know who necessarily the author is, what the specific occasion is that it references, but it's a timeless psalm because it points to, uh, it, it raises some points or it raises some issues that are relevant not just for them, but for all times. In effect, all people of all times have a right a reason, and a responsibility to give God thanks. And so I simply want to dig into this psalm for a few minutes with the hope of accomplishing what this author thousands of years ago sought to accomplish, and that is to lead people to think about the goodness of God and then pivot from thinking to start thanking God for his goodness. So the psalmist, first of all, says the reason that they thank God is because God delivered them out of distress. Right there in verse 5, it says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The psalmist says that the Lord delivered him or her out of, his, out of their distress. Uh, some suggest that it is King Hezekiah who writes this psalm when, when, a, when a, an enemy army had laid siege to Jerusalem. If this is indeed the case, then the story is in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19 where this incident is recounted. Perhaps it is in this moment that Hezekiah is feeling despair, that Hezekiah is feeling distress, that Hezekiah is feeling that all hope is lost, that he may not make it out of this one alive. Perhaps that is what's on his mind. Hezekiah's back is against the wall. He's between a rock and a hard place. Because you see, when your enemies lay siege to your city, you're faced with a perplexing situation. If you stay in the city, you starve. If you go out of the city, you risk slaughter. Hezekiah, as the king, has a deep, tough leadership decision to make. What do I do with my life and the lives of other people on the line? Hezekiah is faced with some decisions, some tough decisions. And for him, these are some stressful times. 
times when one is playing out all of the different scenarios that could happen in your mind. You know how we do it over and over and over again, playing out, if I do this, then this could happen. If I do that, then that can happen. This is what I imagine is going on in his mind. He's in distress. I imagine that even when he lays down to sleep, just like I do sometimes, and you do as well, our minds won't go to sleep. His mind is still thinking. It is contemplating. It is planning. It is strategizing. It is tweaking. It is analyzing any different way out of this situation. Perhaps you've been where Hezekiah was, in distress, where the weight of trouble and decisions that you need to make weigh heavily on your mind and your soul, distress feeling like your back is against the wall, distress, feeling like there may be no way out of this situation. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you are there this morning. Maybe you went to sleep in distress, and lo and behold, you woke up this morning in distress. That's where Hezekiah is. But the psalmist, if it is indeed Hezekiah, says that in the midst of trying to figure it out, he made a decision to ask God to work it out. He says again in verse 5, in the midst of my distress, what did he do? I called on the Lord. And when I called on God, God started doing God's stuff. God answered me and set me free. If you allow your mind to think about it, perhaps you will recall the times when you were in distress and out of your distress, you knew nothing else to do but to call on God. And God started doing God's stuff, working out situations like only God can. Perhaps before that, you didn't have your own testimony, but now because of that situation, you in here today like Marvin Sapp talking about, I never would have made it without you. And so this morning, if there is no other reason to tell God thank you, it is for delivering you out when you found yourself in distress. Secondly, the psalmist says that God delivered them out of danger. In verses 10 10 through 16, the psalmist is here talking about danger. In verse 10, he says that all nations surrounded me. He says in another verse that it felt like he was swarmed about by, like, by bees. He was in danger. In verse 13, he says he was pushed hard so that he was falling. But the Lord, he says, helped me. I don't know about y'all, but growing up black and male in and around this city, I have some experiences of God delivering me out of some danger. When I was 17, on 23rd and Adams in Bellwood, and all of a sudden somebody started shooting from the corner, but God helped me. I used to live on 79th and Kingston, which for y'all bougie folks that don't know, it gets a little real on 79th and Kingston in South Shore. And, 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 and my dumb behind from Broadview used to 
20 years old, come home late at night in a Range Rover, park two blocks away because there was no place to park and walk two blocks to my house. Danger. But God kept me. How many times have we all driven home not sober and made it home safe and sound and unharmed and without harming anybody? Even though we were foolish, God helped us. That's some of y'all last night. God helped you. That's what God does. He did it for the psalmist. He did it for me. God has done it for you, right? He has protected us from danger and delivered us from danger. This is the reason why the psalmist talks about God as, as his salvation. Verse 14, it says, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous, the verse says. Here in the text, salvation is not only about the saving of one's soul. It is about the important saving of one's body. Yes, God not only cares about our souls, but God cares deeply also about how we fare down here on earth in our bodies. Yes, God is my salvation. But not just my salvation for eternity. God also cares about my salvation once again and well-being here. And this is what Hezekiah, if it is Hezekiah writing this, this is what Hezekiah is experiencing. And can I just posit for a moment that you ought to let your mind go back to recount the ways that God has delivered you from danger. The ways that God has been your literally, your, fig, your physical salvation. Let me encourage you that your thinking ought to lead to some thanking. Thank God for being so good that he has delivered you from danger. Let me, let me push this thing along and say the final thing that I see in the text is that the psalmist says that God delivered them from disgrace. Verse 22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our, in our eyes. Most of us feel an acute sense of unworthiness, a sense that we are not good enough, if we were to be honest. Not, not only not good enough for God, but perhaps even a bit of imposter syndrome where we feel we're not even good enough for our businesses or jobs. Not good enough. A, a sense that we got where we are by mistake that we've skated through, that, that we have been running game on all of society. And if it was ever found out who we really were, we'd probably be on the streets. Yeah. We also feel that way when it comes to God. Like we're not good enough. We're not holy. We're not righteous. Because we know us. And what's also frightening is we know God knows us. And so we feel a deep sense of unworthiness. And again, we feel that when it comes to God and to our work. But then there are those times where I don't know about you, but God provides me with validation. Th that I am good enough 
or that he has made me enough. And not just in some of the things, but in, in all of the things, I'm enough. Enough for God. Enough for my work. Enough for fill in the blank. Enough as a parent. Enough as a grandparent. Enough as a partner. Enough. The psalmist seems to be rejoicing in God's vindication and validation for who the psalmist is. He says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through it. In other words, I am good enough because God says I'm good enough. Let me in. He references himself as the stone that the builders rejected having become the cornerstone. Perhaps he's here referencing himself as the passed over and the looked over, the one that was not enough, the one that was not good enough, not worthy enough, but now God has declared me good enough. If you've ever built something before, ever had to go to Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards to buy some wood, I was building a deck last uh, summer, and, and, and I learned some things about wood. If you order your lumber on the internet, they just stack all of it up, they don't care which pieces are good, which are bad. If you order 20, they put 20 on the truck and they send them to you. And I would get these pieces of lumber and they look like hockey sticks. And if you're trying to put down boards on a deck, you can't have hockey sticks because it's going to put holes in your deck. You need them to be straight. You need them to be lined up. So what I learned to do, a contractor told me this, you got to go pick it out yourself. It's a painstaking task, one by one, picking up pieces of lumber, turning them to the side, looking at them like I'm going down on a rifle to make sure they're straight. And I might go through 30 pieces just to get the 20 pieces that I need. In the same way, builders used to do the same thing when it came to stones. You, you can't build a structure with any stones. You need certain kinds of stones, and you need a perfect stone to be your cornerstone because that's your anchor piece. And so you might look through a whole bunch of stones, throwing some in the rabble pile, some in the good pile that you can build from, but there is one particular piece that is the perfect piece that you want to set aside as the cornerstone. The psalmist says that I was like the stone that the builders rejected. The one that wasn't even good enough that was just thrown in the rubble pile. But God, in declaring me good enough, I'm feeling this thing, took me from the rubble pile, not only put me in the acceptable pile, but separated me and made me the cornerstone. He says God has delivered me from disgrace. Some of you have been in relationships where they have thrown you in the rubble pile with their words. Told you you weren't good enough. Told you you would never be nothing. I'm the only one that wants you anyway in the rubble pile. But somehow or another, God, in the way that God does God's thing, in the depths of us losing confidence, in the depth of us believing the lies that were told about us, in the depths of believing that the way we were treated was the way we always had to be treated, God lifted us up and gave us a restoration of hope and confidence in who we were. God saved us from disgrace. The psalmist psalmist says, God, deliver me from disgrace. 
My siblings, these are just reflections about God. And they are meant to do one thing. Remind us why God deserves our gratefulness. That's all it's meant to do. Remind us why God deserves our gratefulness and then trigger us to say, God, thank you. The way I do the cashier at Walmart, thank you. The, the, the way I do the customer service rep on the phone, thank you. It's the way that God desires us to communicate with him. I close with this. I, I have this thing that I started back in my money was funny days. How many of you remember your money was funny days? It's okay. Some of us are in money was funny days. Some of our money was funny days was yesterday. Some of our money was funny days is next week because this is the first. This is the, the first week. It ain't so funny. Catch me in the middle of the month. It's hilarious. But I had this thing that I, that I used to do when my money was for real funny all the month days. The don't even want to check my account online because it's probably negative, and I just would like to just live in this oblivion for a moment. I don't even want to know. So when I would swipe my card at the grocery store in the checkout line, the, the point of sale system, some of them back then, like if your swipe was successful, it would say thank you. So I would be in the grocery store line, nervous, kind of checking the tally. I thought that was two for five dollars. I didn't know it was. You're nervous, and you swipe your card, and when the transaction is approved, it says, thank you. I used to use that as a prompt to remind me to tell God thank you. And I still do it most of the time whenever I'm in the checkout line and the system does that thank you thing. I use that thank you on the point of sale system to remind me that this, this is a privilege. That this has been a privilege for me to get the things off the shelf that I wanted to get, food that I wanted to eat, and then be able to swipe. And everything was all good. That's my prompt. But let me push you to develop your own prompt. Something that triggers you just day to day to tell God thank you. Maybe it's each time you pick up a fork or a spoon to blow some food. Let that trigger you to tell God thank you. Maybe it is every time you stop at the gas station have to put some gas in that, in that car. Let that be your prompt to tell God, thank you. Maybe it's when you are in the mirror, beating face in the morning, putting your makeup on. Let that be your prompt to stop and tell God, thank you. Psalm 118 and 29, I close with these final words. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Be grateful, y'all. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for pushing us to be grateful, to give thanks to you, because you've been good to us. 
better than good. Lord, you are batting a thousand in my book. All my days haven't been sunny days. But Lord, I got to give it up to you. You make up for when the days come up short. Because when you do let the sun shine on me, it shines so bright, so well, so beyond anything I could ask, imagine, much far beyond what I deserve. Thank you. I lived through a pandemic. Thank you. I woke up indoors instead of outdoors. And although I've never experienced homelessness, I realize it does not take a lot to get there. Lord, thank you. My child is healthy. I did not spend last night in an emergency room. God, thank you. I'm walking across this stage. God, thank you. A lot of churches closed during the pandemic, and I have one that I get to preach at and I get to lead. Lord, thank you. A lot of marriages are shifty and shaky, but mine is good. Lord, thank you. Lord, I may not have all of the things that I want to be able to buy in life, but for what I got, Lord, thank you for the transportation that got me here. Thank you. Whether we drove, Ubered, walked, or bust, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. God, help us remain in this space of gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.